Welcome to the Whistleblower Newsroom. I'm Christina Borgeson. There's a saying, the more things change, the more they stay the same. But in the case of declarations of flu-like pandemics and the highly profitable responses to them, historical context indicates that the more things change, the more refined and profitable those changes are for the same parties as before. My guest today is a German physician and health policy advisor who as a member of Germany's parliament back in 2009 was responsible for launching an investigation into the so-called H1N1 flu pandemic. That resulted in a highly critical report raising questions about its status as a pandemic and exposing how the machinations often secret behind declaring the pandemic triggered massive profits for vaccine makers while costing nations and their taxpayers billions and leaving some countries with millions of unused vaccines on their hands. Dr. Wolfgang Wodarg is an epidemiologist and honorary member of the Parliamentary Assembly of the Council of Europe. He's going to talk about the report as historical context for the current pandemic. He has also just published a book titled False Pandemics, Arguments Against the Rule of Fear, in which he describes the COVID pandemic as a coup from above, controlled by the vaccine mafia and the techno elite. Welcome, Dr. Wodard. Welcome to. So one thing that really stuck out in my mind from your report was that it's it talked about in 1993, and I really think this is part of the genesis of the whole thing. In 1993, the WHO began a private-public partnership. Could you talk about that? The WHO being the World Health Organization. Yes, this, the, the WHO is a very important uh, institution. It should be a very important institution for global health. And it should, uh, its task is to prevent diseases and to watch uh, the, the possible threats um, that could happen for, to health. And, um, but the WHO always had uh, a lack of money because the, the governments of the member states, of the UN member states, were more interested in economics, in, in money than in health. And uh, so they, it was, it was under-elemented, uh, the, the WHO. And um, this was this stopped uh, in a in a time when uh, Mrs. Brundtland, the former uh, Norwegian president, uh, became the head of the WHO, and she, it was in Davos in in the World Health in the World Economic Summit, where she invited the industry, the bosses of the industry, to invest in health, in global health. And this was a very successful invitation, and they came and they they took over the WHO in in some years, and uh, now it's it's in a way it happens that uh, there is eighty percent of the budget from the WHO is uh, is earmarked. It is given by sponsors, it's by foundations, or even by national states as extra money in favor of their own health industry. So this is, um, it's, not about, um, it's not about public health, it's about earning money with, with uh, health or with diseases. And this has changed a lot. This has changed the whole image. And we saw it in many, in many uh, different uh, yeah, phases of development. 
we saw the we saw the AIDS campaign, where um, many pharmaceutical products were were tested and were were tried out for in in Africa and in other countries, and uh, it was a lot of damage which was done by treatment which was not adequate was not, which was not uh, thoroughly enough uh, t tested. Basically, they were experimenting on on the people in those countries, right? It's, it seems like the vaccine makers always go to third world countries first to try out their... It's about patents, you know, it's about patents. And when you, when you want to have a patent, when you want to have new drugs, you have to try them out. And it's easy to try it out in countries that don't understand what's going on. It's more difficult to have trials, uh, critical trials, in countries with a skilled, where, where well-educated population lives and which is aware of, of possible threats from the pharmaceutical industry. But um, I think Africa learned a lot and the Asian countries, uh, they learn a lot now. But um, I think there is a lot of criminal activity and a lot of criminal um, force in this movement. And we Talk saw- Talk about it. that. Talk about that. What's, what criminal activity and by whom are you uh, are you talking about? Yeah, it's about the definition of diseases. We saw that WHO was used, for instance, to set the norms in a, in a, in, a, in a blood fat, in a cholesterol, and such things. And they just uh, they just lowered the threshold, which doubled the which doubled the customers for the industry. Or well, they lowered they lowered for the lowered the, the 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 threshold for normal blood sugar. So they, they, uh, it there were more patients for the industry, and in all those in all those expert rounds, uh, the, the the industry sends their experts, and they are they have uh, lots of uh, secondary interests, and they decide, very often, not very transparently, and so with with the with the help of the WHO, you you can make your customers in in the health industry. I mean, it's almost as if now the World Health Organization, with which is a you know, it's a nonprofit and whatever, it's like the front for the vaccine industry and the research industry and so on, for them to uh, to to sort of sell their products in, in a way, or to enforce their pro to force their products mm. on, literally on the world. So, I, I mean, I was very interested that you, back then, I mean, what was it that caused you to say, hey, this is a fake pandemic and we need to, uh, you know, yes. we need to look into I used, it. I used to work as a director of a public health institution in Northern Germany. And I, I have made up a sentinel for flu. So when I, I had certain doctors, certain hospitals, certain enterprises and certain schools, kindergartens, and my secretary, she used to call all that, all of them each Monday, whether there were more flu cases or less flu cases, or whether there was something coming or not. And so I always knew if there was a, was a severe flu coming or not. And you can you can see it when you go to work that people are missing, and you go when you go to school that people get ill. You can see it. You can experience a flu when you walk through the through your uh, uh, through your town with open eyes. And um, I had this sentinel, and sh so she always told me in, in, on Monday, Monday uh, midday, she told me there is something coming, or it's everything is okay. And I knew when in this in this uh, constituency, in this in this in, in this uh, 
region where I was responsible, there were about 150,000 people living. And when there was a serious flu, I found out there were about 10% of the people they were hit by the flu. They were they were getting ill, so it's it's a lot of it's a lot of people. There's more than ten thousand people being ill. And when I heard from the Mexican flu, the swine flu, in two thousand nine in April, that there were six hundred cases, and Mr. Ferguson was calculating from the from the London uh, School of of uh, I think the London School of Hygiene, he was he was calculating that there would be a pandemic. I didn't understand. I just didn't understand what he meant. 600 cases in a region where many million people live. And it was in the region of Mexico, very populated region of Mexico. And I was used to have 10,000 where only with only 150, 150 thousand inhabitants. So it didn't fit. And I started doing some research on it. And I found out there was a firm called Viratec which was an intelligence firm or something like an intelligence firm that that was traveling around in Mexico and searching for for uh, positive tests they used they they were searching for h1n1 uh, positive uh, patients in hospitals and it was, i i knew that, that it would be about 30% of the of the people uh, being older than 60 in that time they should have had positive tests and antibodies against this H1N1 because H1N1 was already uh, has has already been there before in the 70s, and uh, so it I was it was like it, it seemed to me like a trick what they did to just to go in hospitals where people are short of breath or have uh, or where they are coughing or where they have a pneumonia and make a test and find H1N1 antibodies, and so you. I would have known it in advance that they had such results that you can produce them. So it was for me really artificial, the results. Uh, and then they started multiplying those cases with the flights going all over from Mexico, all over the world, all those flights from Mexico City, and they were just multiplying it and having some theory, some biomedical theory, how they tried to explain us that there would be a pandemic. This is a new virus and there would be very many serious cases. And they showed some pictures like we have seen them in from Wuhan too, or from Northern Italy. You always the same pictures in intensive care stations, people on the respirator and so on. So to threaten the people, it was the same theater. It was the same pictures. Wow. And uh, yeah, so I, I just, uh, I did not understand it. And then I found out that the, vac the vaccines that they were uh, offering us in case uh, for to, to, to help us in this, in this pandemic, so-called pandemic, they, were, had, they had made contracts with more than 100 states in, in advance. This, this was uh, starting after the birds flew in 2005. There was this pandemic preparedness and they were negotiating with all governments all over the world and the the pharmaceutical industry was making was making contracts with the, with the government so they had these they, there are so, these so-called sleeping contracts yes they they were secret they were not public i got them from whistleblowers they those those contracts i got a french one and a german one the german contract they were similar similar text and they said in case the who declares the level six of a pandemic then this contract is in power and it will say this 
then it will say that the state had to pay and had to take all those drugs they they ordered for such a case. Now, the, now these these contracts were signed around when? Yeah, they they were signed before two thousand nine. So in the two thousand eight, two thousand seven. I don't know exactly when they were signed. I don't remember this. But it started this the, uh, building this this industry, promising, negotiating with the industry, or giving money to the industry. In Germany, Novartis got ten thousand ten million uh, euros, and uh, Glaxo got ten million euros in order to prepare to build up the factory facilities for producing the vaccine. So this started some two years ago, two years before. Okay, now the, when did the World Health Organization change its uh, the threat level of uh, pandemic? In other words, <laughs> when did they change their definition of pandemic? Was this- Yeah, this was, this, this was the trick that happened then. The, the, the pandemic always was something very serious with many ill people and many dead people, but many victims of, of uh, who died. And uh, it was a catastrophe where the hospitals were crammed with, with very severe ill people. And um, so this, this was the picture I knew from, from pandemics. That's what was being projected, but that's yeah. not what was happening. But they, in, 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 the end of, in the end of April and, and in, uh, in, from April to, to May in this time, in 2009, they changed this. They just left away the severe ill people and the, and, and the victims, the dead ones, uh, so the deadly cases. And it was only the new virus which was spreading fast over the whole world. And such a thing happens every year with all those new viruses coming each year. So they could, from that, from that time on, they could just declare a pandemic each year with they this definition. Yeah, the, the WHO think about the definition. WHO always says no. We never have a definition of, of of pandemic, but they had they described what is a pandemic. And for me, this is called we call it normally we call it such a thing definition. But they had criteria uh, when a definition when a, when a pandemic could be uh, declared, and they did it in Ju in June. Okay, then, but yeah. what they did, what you say they did was they lowered the threshold. Yes, they just changed the definition as they did with cholesterol and, and as they did with, with the sugar and the blood sugar and as they did with many other things. They just lowered the threshold. And this makes, the, this makes that you have suddenly, you have enormous number of cases because this is such a low threshold that if there is a new virus and if the, the virus spreads rapidly, if this is the definition of a pandemic, you have a definition and you have a pandemic each year. And this is what they did to, to have empower all those contracts and then to make the states pay and to sell all those, those uh, jabs they wanted to sell. So this is so interesting because basically you're saying the head of the WHO in 93 goes to Davos and says, we need money. This mm. public-private partnership is established. And all of a sudden, the WHO is changing its uh, definitions for various drugs, the use of various drugs for various illnesses and so on. Is that what, is that what you just said, explained to me just now? Am I, am I correct in that summary? 
Yes, the, the dif changing definition is a, is a thing uh, they they did before with with other things with other diseases, but the changing the definition of a pandemic or changing the threshold for for uh, declaring a pandemic. This happened in uh, April, end of April, two thousand nine. So, what happened as a result of that report that was put out? I mean, I understand the WHO also in that report talks about the WHO. First of all, the WHO did not want to share any information about yeah. who advised them to uh, come up with their policies and to declare a pandemic and to mm. declare mm. what to be done about them. They, they kept that completely secret. Yes, they wanted to protect their scientists, they said, from and public. Did you ever find out who their key people were and if they were? Yeah, yeah. It's, all, it's all well known and it's all the... Well, the, the the connections of those people to the to the industry they were all they are now transparent, but they were not transparent. We did not know who was a member of this committee who decided, and uh, but now it is clear. And the report uh, names them, and there are very close ties to the industry of the pharmaceutical industry by the majority of them. Now let me and ask. Afterwards, go ahead. Go ahead. Afterwards, afterwards I'm. I met the, 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 general, the secretary general from WHO. I met her in Berlin. It was two years later or three years later. And um, I met her on the, on the, in, a, in a, some event, some public event, and she was beside me and taking, taking her sandwiches and, and I was taking my sandwiches. And, uh, and then I introduced myself. Hello, Mrs. Chana, I'm Wolfgang Wodak. And, and she looked at me and she took me by the arm and she took me to the next room and she said, you do, you, you did something uh, very, very seriously. And, and it was not all true what you said. There's, we have, now we make an audit, we shall make an audit in WHO. And I, I told her that I know that they want to make an audit and they wanted to make, uh, to, to take Mr. Fantum. He was, he's now responsible for, uh, for he's Mr. Flu in, in England. And he is the one who has lots of ties to the industry and he has now he is responsible for the British government for COVID-19. And uh, Mr. Fantam, he was said to, to make the audit. But I was, I said, if you do this, there will be another scandal. And um, after, some, after some weeks, uh, I heard that she has changed her plans and that she took Mr. Feinberg, uh, Professor Feinberg, to make the audit. And uh, so the, you, it, it is... It is if you if you insist and if you observe WHO and make it transparent, I think there you can change a lot. And um, but WHO did not did only came once for the auditions in the in the Council of Europe. They, they Mr. Fukuda and, and the, the 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 boss of the of the of the media service of WHO, they came and um, they came didn't come the next time. They, they they came only once. They they didn't like to come to this to this institution again. Well, uh, what happened? Lost. What what happened to their review? What did their review discover? Did they say? Did they? Yes, they said something went wrong. Yes, but they didn't speak of corruption. They didn't speak of uh, of uh, dominating secondary interests. They they didn't. Uh, they made a soft solution. They made a, some compromise solution. Yeah. So was anybody held accountable anywhere for the H1N1? No. Nobody. No. Yeah, there was, there was some, in some governments, 
because the Council of Europe is a very good institution for democracy because the Council of Europe, the Parliamentary Assembly, um, is, is, uh, contains not only the, the, the governments, but there are the parliamentarians, the national parliamentarians from all parliaments, There's, there are delegations and the delegation uh, has the members of the delegation, they are from the opposition too. It's not only the governing parties, it's also the opposition. So that in this parliamentary assembly, you have really have an opposition and you really can, can ask questions to certain governments if something happens undemocratically or if the, the rule of law is, is, is hurt in, in, in a European state. You can really table it and you can really change uh, the view of, the, of many parliamentarians in many countries. So it was a very, uh, it was a very, uh, it had a big effect on the national parliaments, on the discussion, following discussions in the national parliaments because they all were trapped. They all were, had those contracts and most of them, Poland didn't have. The Polish minister of health, she, she decided not to buy vaccines because she was, she's a doctor too, a public health doctor, she was. And she said, "No, we don't need this stuff. It's not a, it's not a serious, uh, it's not a serious flu. It's not a serious pandemic, and the the the, uh, the vaccines are too too new. They are too risky. So she didn't buy in them. And we may we asked her too in the Council of Europe. She was it was very good to hear such a, yeah. Let me ask you something. Correct. Does the response to a flu vaccine, a flu epidemic, always have to be a vaccine. No, no, no. We have flu. We have this flu coming each year, and we, as the children, already we get to know the, the the viruses that the respiratory viruses, all of them, and those viruses they change, they change a little bit, but we have a cross immunity which is in our T cells, which is we have a we have a memory. Our immune memory is very strong, and I can say I I use a picture for that. You know, the if you if you meet someone, you will recognize him next year if someone is makes you net. And so if if our immune system meets a virus, it recognizes next year. Although the virus changes its socks or changes his hat or changes his shirt or the our immune system knows it's a cross immunity. We, we recognize that our immune system recognizes, oh, I know you, you have changed a little bit, but no, and kills them. So why these flu vaccines every year? It's a business. It's a business. You know, the flu was, was dangerous when the people had very, uh, very bad living conditions, when the people were hungry, when the people were at bad rooms where they were crammed in, in a big family and small rooms and such. It, it was dangerous when the hygiene, the high living hygiene, the hygiene circumstances were bad. And then, so after the Second World War, we have a very much, we have a very strong decrease of, of deadly, deadly uh, flu cases. And um, always there, there were two or three years, every three years, it was a little bit more. So the last wave that was more serious was in, in was in 2017, 18 this winter. There were many cases. There were more. There's uh, we have we speak about um, the over uh, the over mortality or over the lethality of of the victims of the flu. They were uh, 25,000 more than normally in Germany. 
So this is remarkable, and um, they were, and but in the in the years between, between those uh, uh, between those higher waves, you you don't find any severe any severe consequences. There are always very old people, and uh, each year, people, old people die. We have to die when we get old, and uh, many of those old people die with with the uh, with the flu in winter because it's it, they are very very weak yeah. when they are just facing the death and the flu helps them to die very often so they are victims of the flu but the, the most of them are older than 80 or older than 90 and um, we did not make a fuss about that we know that old people die and that very often a pneumonia and very often a virus pneumonia and or or a virus infection with which is followed by a bacterial pneumonia so the secondary infection then that that such things happen very often let me this ask you something if you were told to come up with a proper definition of pandemic what would it be it would be something the people could see when they walk through the streets when they go to work it would be it would be something where everyone would say oh we cannot manage this what is happening with our normal tools with with normal in a normal way we have to behave differently to stop it and but so such thing has not happened the last i don't know 100 years it so has, you're saying it, was, it didn't happen in with covid either no no, it didn't. If you would not have, if you would, the, well, those who have no television and no radio and no don't read anything, they wouldn't have recognized there's something extraordinary going on this year. It was the PCR test, which was like a, like an ep epidemic was spread. The P PCR test and the PCR test showed us what the what the disease could be, and very men. Most of the tests were were positive with healthy people. And it's uh, something we are we are fascinated by, which which comes from the media and doesn't come from our own experience. You know, I'm going to tell you something. You know, 2020 hindsight is is uh, hindsight is 2020. But when I read your report, I thought, you know, if I were a vaccine maker, I would I would read this report to see where I need to tighten things up so that the next time things go more smoothly uh, mm -hmm. for the declaration of a pandemic and the rollout of the vaccines, you know, because what you point out for, you know, what, what you pointed out in terms of, uh, you know, the who they changed their definition. So then they were able, you know, and then you have these sleeping contracts that were that were triggered, okay, and then and then you have uh, the numbers that are being inflated, and you mentioned that in your report that this in this it's mentioned in this report numbers being inflated because people not only dying of the flu but with the flu, okay, mm -hmm. so that the flu didn't necessarily cause it. Now the only component that wasn't as well controlled as it is now, and I'll ask you to comment on this. I mean, this is just my view of it, is the 
the information component, the control of, uh, of the message and keeping people primed for waiting for this vaccine, waiting for this vaccine, even though physicians had bef way before the vaccines came out discovered early treatment protocols that treated the COVID, uh, vaccine, the COVID uh, virus very well. Yes, they, it was different in 2009 because uh, there, Germany ordered uh, 50 million doses of vaccines and um, the doctors only used 4 million of them. So the discussion about the vaccine and the discussion about the severeness of the disease was very vivid within the medical uh, sphere. The, the doctors discussed a lot about, is it really a pandemic? Is it really serious? And many doctors were skeptical and protected their patients from this vaccine. They didn't use it. And uh, it, Germany was, they were skeptic. This is completely different now, but it, it is the, because the, now the politicians bypassed the doctors. The doctors, normal doctors, your doctor didn't give you the jab. It was in, in some centers, they, they established centers, they hired doctors for lots of money. They get, they get 170 euros an hour for, for working there. So they left their, old, their, their, their other jobs. And it was very, very uh, well paid. And everyone who, who, who helps this pandemic to be realized is bribed, is well paid. The scientists who give the results who say, yes, a mask may be useful. They get their they they get their they get their money for their science, and critical science doesn't get money. And um, so this this is something where which is the, the the public image of now of COVID nineteen is shaped a lot by by bribery, bribing the doctors, paying them for for just uh, being not critically, just acting with the with the whole with the whole campaign. And um, I think uh, this was different in 2009. The doctors, they were just doing their job. They was, some gave the jab and others didn't. And so the, the population was protected by a little bit from those five, 50 million, 50 million dangerous jabs. So wider payoffs, wider payoffs to the frontline physicians. Is that what you're saying? Oh, you know, more payoffs to frontline physicians treating patients. Uh, did the did the trick yeah, to, this to time prevent, to prevent? You mean? Yeah. If you want, if you want to prevent, you have to have critical doctors. You have to have the doctors uh, who are well paid for for being critical, and for giving only those drugs that are that are useful, and not listening to the pharmaceutical industry or just to some propaganda form. No, but that's what I mean for COVID. The COVID for the COVID um, pandemic. You're saying that. They paid off more people. They paid off more yes, physicians yes. and so on and so forth. Yes. So the yes. you, they pay them very well. You, the hospitals, when they when they give the diagnosis of COVID nineteen, they get extra money. Yes. So all patients. Oh, you have that in Germany too. Yes, you have very very strongly. So it, this is a, a. So this is very organized globally too. Then yes, right. Yes. Yeah. Do you think it was more organized? Do you think it's more organized than it was back with H1N1? Yes, for sure. And then, you know, in, in 2009, there were critical, even critical journals, or, or you had, the media was more critical. 
and you heard something critical in the media, but now it's, they all say the same. And the, the only critical media is you can find in internet, alternative media, you can find critical voices, but you don't find them in the state radio, you don't find them in the television, and um, all the private, the private uh, television neither. Uh, there's no platform for, for discussion, for scientific discussion, open discussion. There's no platform for critical voices. So this is very unusual. It's the first time I experienced such a thing, such a uniform media uh, in Europe. I have never seen this before. I was, I was dealing a lot with the, with the independence of, of media in the Council of Europe because it's our topic too. And I made a report on, on how to protect the media from being influenced by, by the state and by the, by the economy, by the, by the, by the money. So um, if, if we, and we, I, I made some indicators for that and we gave notes to the, to, the, to the states who wanted to become members of the European Union. They had to make this report using my indicators and they got a note and Germany now would not be able to enter the European, European Union anymore because the media, the media was, would, have, get, would get very, very bad notes and would not be allowed to become a member of the European Union if we would still use those indicators uh, for the media. For function, it was called uh, the, the, the function of media for democracy. This was the report. That is, yeah. that is that's kind of shocking to me. That's very shocking. You know, I, I want your, your comments on a comment that an African doctor made. He said, you know, this pandemic is a European pandemic. He said, because we in these poor countries, we don't have the money to buy these vaccines. So we're treating people with the old cheap drugs, you know, hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, whatever. And he says, but, you know, the Europeans, they're the ones with the high COVID death rates uh, because, you know, they're not treating, you know, they're waiting for the vaccine and they're not treating them with these, with these drugs. You know, in, uh, in in Europe, we have a very strong, um, very strong part of, of industry, which is a medium-sized industry, small industry, medium-sized industry, and also the trading. The, the whole trading uh, is, is more. We have family enterprises and such. Uh, lots of them. It's not big monopoles dominating the European economy. But, but there is a, we, the, the economy in Europe is, is strong because of this basis of, of people acting, investing thoughts, investing money and, and doing new things and inventing new things. And it's a very strong economy. And um, you know, now in, with the COVID-19, this economy is breaking, is going down, is being destroyed. And there are the others, the big ones, the Amazons, the Googles, and so on, the big, big, big one, the global ones that swallow them, that take over. You see this in, in, in art, you see this in, in, you see this in the media, you see this everywhere, you see this in production, in the service industry, you see it everywhere, that everything gets monopolized. And this is something like the, the, shock, the shock strategy of Naomi Klein, she described it very well, well, how, how this functions, you just paralyze with fear the whole population and everything that's, that's normally functioning well 
will be paralyzed too. And there are others, and then they, they are like vultures, and then taking over what's what's lying down now, what's what's uh, what's no longer functioning, what was. In yeah, but it time. seems like it seems like in the third world, where people can't afford to buy things from Amazon, and people can't afford. In the third world, they seem to be faring better through this pandemic, you know, uh, yes. be because it's they don't have access to all that. So what about it's them? About, I think it's about power and it's about uh, money. And you can't, you can't, uh, you don't have to do so much to, to have power in the poor countries. They, they are used to just to bribe the governments there. Uh, we know that the governments in Africa very often were bribed, and they were they were robbed. The, the the people were robbed of their of their oil, of their petrol, of their of their copper, of their whatever they had, and they just it was just easy to bribe the government or the kings or whatever there was, and and, and this is still possible now. Yeah, but, but big pharma. It was not in Europe. In strong democracies, they would say no. But now the strong democracy is, is weakened by COVID-19, by the fear. And it's possible just to, to take over here. And they bribed the government too. They, they cared for governments that were following, that would follow them. Yeah, but you know, in places like Africa and India, you can bribe the government all you want. The average people who have seen who have experienced these uh, tests being done on their people, you know, these vaccines, like in, in, uh, in Africa, I think there was this, uh, there was this campaign to give people, I, I can't I think it was TB shots. I can't remember if it was TB or tetanus shots that were laced with a sterilizer, you know, and uh, you know, these types of tests that are done on the populations, uh, make the population kind of wary of, as, as one African doctor says, you know, when we see the Gates Foundation and their doctors come in, we can smell them, <laughs> he said. And, um, and so I'm just wondering, when are the Europeans, uh, are the Europeans not aware of the fact that the COVID numbers are much lower in these, some of these countries? Like in Mexico and Vietnam, they had nothing practically. If it, you know, you just see it's you don't see COVID diseases. You see the test results. You see uh, Johns Hopkins uh, uh, boards there, the numbers, and this is not this is a virtual thing, virtual scene of, of disease. There's not disease. This is the results of tests. And uh, when you go to the when you go to the countries. And when you see the hospital in Germany in, the, in this most severe time of COVID-19 last year or in autumn, there was 6,000 uh, intensive care beds were closed because they were not needed. They were closed. They, they never succeeded to close beds before, but in this time they said, oh, we have to reserve beds in case COVID-19 comes. And those beds were paid very well. The hospitals were paid very well for empty beds. And then they just, because then the hospital afterwards, the hospital were, were paid when they had more than 75% of the intensive care bed uh, uh, were, were occupied. So the, what the hospitals did, they just closed the, they took away the empty beds to have more than 75% of their beds uh, occupied. 
and then they got money from the state. So the state rewarded hospitals who took away intensive care beds. This is not typical for, for a situation where you, have a, where you have a pandemic where many people are ill and need intensive care. And no, it was, it was a season to close intensive care stations and more than 6,000 beds, hospital beds were closed in Germany in that time. This is a very, very big number. Now, what are, what are your thoughts on the vaccines and, and the vaccination program that Germany has for its people? I, I was resisting this, this term vaccine because it's, it's non, it is, um, it, it is uh, something like uh, gene therapy, what is done. It, yeah. normally, it normally was, was labeled gene therapy and was defined in the, in, in the European Union. And in Germany, we usually, usually had a definition of vaccines, which was giving antigen, antigen. And then in 2009, nobody recognized it. They suddenly changed a little bit the definition in Germany too. They said giving antigen or giving nuclear acids. Oh, and nobody really- Or giving what? I'm sorry, giving what? Uh, nucleate, nucleate, nucleate acid. So, so ace, uh, giving, giving. Uh, how do you, how do you say it? In well, just describe it. What is that? So this information, genetic information. Oh, so so it's what again gene in, what, therapy. What is in the RNA, RNA and in the DNA? This are this are uh, nucleate. Uh, this are so such so they just so so they change that too. Yes, so now they, a vaccine is. They changed the definition in two thousand in July two thousand nine in advance because they knew to go this direction, and they changed they they changed also the definition of gene therapy. Gene therapy is everything except if you use those gene therapy against infectious diseases. This is what they did to the council in the in the in the European Union. They did it also in two thousand nine. And this made it possible to judge on all what happens as vaccination. Normally, we were treated as, as a gene therapy. If this, if this definition would not have been changed, it would be a gene therapy. And there would put ethical committees and there would completely different, uh, completely different scales would be in power and completely different uh, uh, rules would be, would be uh, valid then. So it was easy now to do it because of those, this changing of a definition again in 2009 already. And they knew it and they prepared it. I, and they had patents on it long. They had patents on it from 2008. I don't understand how that's legal. I don't understand how that's legal. That's like- is, If you make a law, it's legal. <laughs> but they influence the lawmakers. You know, that, that reminds me of when the United States uh, changed the definition of torture after they were, you know, caught torturing uh, people, you know, during the, the Iraq war, you know, I mean, the, that law, it's an illegal law to make legal something that is illegal. Yeah. You no, know, it is no illegal law. It was an, a law which was passing the, the parliament like each law. So it is legal, but Parliament did sleep, did not recognize. Parliament was not aware what this means. This was this was done very clandestinely. This was done well, not secretly, 
but there was they didn't make any fuss. They made a big law, and one passage of the law was just inside this this big packet of, of regulations. And the stealth like, article, the little stealth cell that they put in there that changed I was, everything. I was I was in Parliament in July two thousand nine. And I should have recognized it. I did not. Sorry, I didn't. I just did not recognize because it was just enveloped very well. It was hidden very well, and we were all already speaking about swine flu. And it was just. In, it was in July, and in September we would have the new election. So we were we were just thinking of other things. We were we were not. We didn't pay enough attention to this. So it and they did it on purpose in that time. So they. It was very tricky. Do you think the game is won? I mean, do you think that really the the control is so complete now that it cannot be reversed? It depends on us. It depends on us. I think if if there if there more people get aware of what's happening and that uh, they, that there's someone doing harm on them and on their children, they want to do harm too, and they do already with masks and with all this stuff. So they do a lot of harm to our children. If people recognize it, they will be furious. They will be angry. And uh, you know that now we have the media, which is, uh, which is just soothing uh, the population, which is just uh, keeping them calm. But um, it's an information war, what is happening. We are betrayed by the media by the majority of the media. And, um, and I'm, very, I'm very sad that the doctors, the doctors who studied all this, who should know all this, who should ask questions, who should, who should say why, and who should give me, give me the evidence. Why do you think this could be dangerous? Or why could, do you think this could help this, this genetically modifying people with, with producing spike proteins and some, I don't know where they produce it, but it, it, it's spike protein is a toxic thing. And there are other substances in the vaccinations and we don't even know what is in the vaccine because there is a big, big experiment now all over the world. We are just the guinea pigs now for billions of guinea pigs and they can do whatever they want. It's intransparent, the contents of the vaccines. Why, why is it that some doctors somewhere aren't, breaking down the contents of those vaccines. I mean, you're a physician, how would you do it? Can, can't you, I mean, I don't know how it's done. I don't know what the process is. Yes, you have to have a good analytics then. You have to, first you have to get the vaccines. You have to get single charges. You have to have enough money. You have to have laboratory capacities to do it. It's all the job, it's the job that normally the, the agency, which is responsible for, for putting on the market, uh, has to do. The pharmacovigilance is a very, very important thing. And the pharmacovigilance now is that those who give the allowance, the market allowance, are the same who are in, in charge of the of pharmacovigilance, which is a nonsense because they would, they would, if they would find something wrong, it would be them who did it, who did wrong. So they don't claim, they don't blame the, themselves. How so much would is, that cost? How much would it cost? If, if, if you were like say it's you and you want to know what's in these vaccines. And so you need to go to a lab. You can go to a lab anywhere in the world, maybe to a country that understands, you know, like a third world country that understands better 
that these things are dangerous and have refused them in favor I, of treatment. I think with with uh, some hundred million, you could have a, you could have such a network of of analyzing. You need some sequencers. You have to find out what is in the which what is in the mRNA. What is the are this is this always the same or are they is are there variations trying out? And you you would have to find out whether what role uh, how important is uh, the graphene oxide uh, which which was found in many jabs. And what is the matter with the myocarditis, which was which is uh, happening with young men uh, mostly? And what is is it the PEG? Is it this this uh, this uh, allergic stuff? Is it an allergic reaction infection of the of the of the heart, or is it some toxic effect, or what is it? So you have to have a pathologist. You have immune pathologist. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who kept, if the cases of people who die or severely ill, you can take samples out of the muscle of the side on the side where, where your vaccination was, and you can take samples on the other side, and you can compare this, and you can do many things which are not so difficult, but you need money for it, and you do people who do it. You know, this is, I think, it's the bigger problem. If you, you need doctors who are critical and who do it, the doctor who starts doing it and does start doing such a critical thing, we will be very much, uh, be very much offended. You will be very much blamed, and uh, I think there will be a big, big shitstorm about those doctors who are critical. We experience this. If even if you say such things, there is a big shitstorm always, and they try to kill you by the media. I'm wondering. I'm wondering if the University of Marseille would not be a good place to start for getting people to for getting for testing to see what's in these vaccines. Because, you know, Dizier Gawul and his team, they don't care. They'll, I mean, they're, they're totally into early treatment. They're not even into the, and that's another thing. I mean, why can't there be a policy that says we look first for treatment with what we have before we run to a vaccine, a, a, yeah. a, 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 an experimental genetic therapy, you know, thing that we're calling you know, a vaccine? Yeah. It is this, if you see the states, how they react, the politicians who govern the states, there is something like fear in their eyes. Many of them do what they do because they are afraid if they won't do it, there would, something, there would happen something very bad with their state and with them. I think there are under, they, many of the politicians, they work under pressure. And some of the politicians only have got to their position with the help of those people who are behind it. I, you know what I don't understand, Dr. Wodog? It's their bodies too, their families, their, their people, their loved ones, their constituents. Everybody is subjected to this dangerous experiment. How Afraid of what? You're afraid for your job as opposed to your life? That makes no sense to me. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm trying to understand is this, this climate of fear. We know this in Germany, you know, there was, there was this Nazi re regime and you know, some people who were making career in this regime and others just followed because they were afraid to oppose. They would be uh, offended then, they would have, would have to immigrate. And so, you know, there are such, if there is such a pressure by the media and if the majority seems to be behind this, this whole, the whole uh, 
project, then um, it's very difficult to, to have a different opinion. And um, yeah, but I question. think I feel like if, first of all, the people who are responsible to the public are the politicians, your tax dollars pay them. Number mm. two, the other people responsible for the public are the physicians. Mm -hmm. So if the physicians in good conscience and according to their Hippocratic oath, do not want to do any harm and the, and the politicians are the ones who are responsible for serving the public. I do not understand, to me, the corruption is, is, is un, unfathomable to me within these two groups of people, these two arenas. I don't understand why they don't get together and try and turn this boat around because this boat is taking us all to yes. a very dark place. Those people who followed this, those plans up to now, for them it's very difficult to, to turn around. And um, there are others who oppose. And if they, if those who are silent up to now, who don't know how to react with all this, if they could be one for, for opposing too, if, they, if, if we would become more to say, no, stop this nonsense, then maybe we can change it. And I, this is what I would try. I, I'm just, I'm, I did not think of going back to politics, but I'm just now making a, a, a candidate for a new party which the aim, the, the, the first aim of this new party is to stop this nonsense and to ask questions and to, to yes, to, to work that such a thing can never happen again. It's a lot let's, to do. Let's talk about your book. What, what, talk about the main theme of your book and some of the key, uh, some of the key elements yeah, in it. It's very, it's very easy. I just want to take fear from the people. I want to explain it, what is happening, where you can do something, what you can do, and where, you can, where it's difficult to do something, and how this whole thing came that we, that we now are surprised that something like that can happen. We, sh we would not be surprised if we would have followed all the, the things that were rather public, but we were not interested in what's going on. And it's a, a, lot, of, it's a lot of our fault of those Democrats, of us, we are all in, in our democratic country, we have the control over the politicians, but we did not take it. We were sleeping. And this is what they could do. And we have to learn from it. We have to revive as politicians, as, as, as Democrats. We have to have a vital democracy where people are interested what their parliamentarians do, where they question them. So we should, I think, I'm working to weaken the role of the parties. I don't want parties in future. I want directly voted candidates and those candidates who are, who are elected, they should be, they should be uh, taken away by new candidates if we don't trust them anymore, anytime. So if there is a quote, we could, we could say, no, this one is corrupt, we elected him but we want to stop this, we want a new candidate. And we could do it any time. We don't have to wait four years. So it's a completely different way of dealing with, with, uh, with democracy. Well, the, other, very, the, very other, the other thing that, that I, f I feel has to happen in order, because 
I agree. I think that's a good start, but I think that these, these companies, these pharmaceutical companies are more powerful than nations. Okay. Yes. They're more they're powerful not. than politicians. They're, they're extremely powerful. And the only way I feel like any change could occur is if the judicial systems of the nations that have been hurt, A, from the past, like the H1N1 fake pandemic, now to this one, if these people are brought into court and held accountable and punished in a very significant way. Here in the United States, for example, when you had the 2008 banking crisis, you know, these guys, they said, okay, well, you're going to have to give us $3 billion. You know, you pay this $3 billion fine. That is, you know, the, the bankers reached into their back pockets and threw out those $3 billion pennies. Yeah, they do rational choices. What it's, they do is rational choices. But you, they calculate in advance their crimes and the punishment. They put it, into, they, they put it on top of the price of their, of their products. Exactly. Yeah, the cost of doing business. And my point is, these corporate criminals have to see the inside of jail cells for decades and decades at life possibly i think it's, it's better to have that is the only way these people are going to be stopped i think there are, there are better ways be, to, to avoid building prisons and lots of prisons because you can if you you know just think of the patent system just think of monopoles in pharmaceutical with pharmaceutical they should not they should not exist why, why are there patents on products everyone needs? If they that are really I agree with, yes, yeah. So if we stop this, you cannot earn so much money. It, it would not be so interesting for, the, for BlackRock and so on, just taking shares of, of, of Pfizer and, and of Glaxo. And they all, now they have 10% on all the pharmaceutical, the, the big investor companies, the big funds. They have, they have around 10% of all those big Johnson & Johnson, Glaxo and so on. And they tell the managers what to do. They tell them how to make pressure on the people that they buy such things. They tell them that they should have monopoles, otherwise they take away their money. So the, the, the managers of pharmaceutical companies very often are victims of this, of this system, of the patent system, of the system of monopoles, of this that we allow uh, the, money, the money world uh, playing with money, with our money. This has nothing to do with banking system. This no, is just... I, I was just, no, no. I, the accountability part is, is the, the, uh, what I was trying to talk about is I really feel that, for, you know, first of all, the vaccine companies, the vaccine pharmaceutical companies that make these vaccines are immune from any prosecution uh, for possibly killing people or making them permanently ill for the vaccines. What other product in the world what other product in the United States, for example, is, is not uh, subject to lawsuits if they kill people? None. Vaccines are the only ones. That makes no sense to me. And, and when you look at this pattern, because for you, particularly, COVID-19 is deja vu. Deja vu, okay? Yeah. Only it's more powerful deja vu. It's deja vu 2.0, correct? Yes. It's harder to fight. It's harder to fight. So that's why I'm talking about this accountability 
and how important it is because these people operate behind the scenes. People don't even know their names, you know, except for maybe Bill Gates, you know, and I'll tell you, I just find it shocking. Yes, but but I I respect what you're doing. I respect what you did uh, calling for that report, that H1N1. And, you know, I hope that you're going to be successful in your efforts. I hope we are successful, yes. <laughs> so we, need, we need many people being engaged and many people fighting now to change this. Yeah.